0: The following program has language that might be offensive, depending on your definition of might, and offensive, and your understanding of the language. It's Tuesday, May 3rd, 2022. From Peachfish Productions, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Since 1973, women in this country knew they had the right to an abortion. The limits of permissibility were never settled, but it has been the case for almost 50 years that a woman, should she choose, could end her pregnancy legally and with proper medical care. The 49-year time frame is significant because it means that no woman who could now become pregnant ever lived in a country where she ever had to worry about the legality of getting an abortion. In fact, All American women who are under the age of 60 have lived their entire lives as reproductive creatures, knowing that as soon as they were able to get pregnant, they would be able to acquire an abortion, should that be necessary. Now that doesn't mean the Supreme Court can't change its mind on things, and this is why in a note... In what will become the majority opinion unless a justice defects or a rewrite happens, Justice Alito laid out the many instances where the Supreme Court has changed precedent. This was an anticipation of the argument about stare decisis, the idea that precedent itself gives law extra legal weight. Justice Alito's list is instructive. There are some cases you know, Oberkfell, Miranda, maybe you know Batson covering race and jury selection. Some you don't, or at least some I didn't know. Maybe you happen to be Scott Shapiro, Emily Bazelon, Barack Obama, and other legal experts who might be listening to the gist. So in there, there's a case about Native American gambling and there's Payne versus Tennessee, which is about victim rights statements and a case about excluding women from juries. There are really a couple dozen cases cited, but in all those cases, a right was granted, not taken away. The right for gay people to marry, the right to have counsel, the right to decline to talk to police officers when arrested and I don't agree with this right, but also in Citizens United, the right for corporations to have speech. It's all about granting a right. This pending reversal of Roe takes away a right, and one held and used and assumed to be true and a right that people could use for 50 years. It's really important. I don't think Roe was exquisitely reasoned. I do think it's a good or at least interesting point that I've heard opponents of Roe raise that because Roe was a Supreme Court decision, wasn't allowed to play out in the way politics usually plays out. We may have seen anti-abortion laws tried and failed. And so it might be the case that, but for Roe in 2022, states like Texas, Mississippi, Idaho, and Alabama would know that their citizens opposed anti-abortion regulations. Maybe, I'll grant that. I also know that there has been no right granted then revoked over so long a period of time. Do you wanna say the right to an abortion was an invented right? This is what some critics of Roe say. They also say that the right to privacy as found in Griswold versus Connecticut was invented in 1965. Okay, but inventions made 50 or 60 years ago and used hundreds of thousands of times a year embed themselves in the actual functioning of life. I am 50, I am further from the adoption of Roe versus Wade as settled court of the land than Roe versus Wade was from the presidency of Warren G. Harding, who happened to be the first president for whom women could cast a vote. The Supreme Court has, if this ruling stands, taken away a long standing, long understood, long regarded as necessary right that is popular with the people. And that is not good for the people, and that is not good for the institution of the court. On the show today, maybe you could tell, I think it's momentous, so let us take a moment to discuss fully. There'll be a short spiel-like substance on the issue of the leak, but the bulk of the rest of the show will be given over to a conversation with a couple of stalwart backers of abortion rights. You may notice I push back a little less than I usually do in this conversation, not completely though, it's by design, because like I say, this is a big day, and I don't want to lessen its import with being overly nuanced or legalistic, or less than clear about the deleteriousness to the national interest that I think this pending ruling represents. So let's bring on Virginia Heffernan and Katha Pollitt to discuss what could be a quite monumental Supreme Court ruling. Katha Pollitt is a columnist for The Nation. She's written for them since 1980, which normally would be impressive, but if you know the history of The Nation, it's but a fraction. She's the winner of the National Magazine Award and author, most recently and relevantly, of pro-reclaiming abortion rights. Virginia Heffernan is a columnist for Wired, the erstwhile host of the worthwhile podcast Trumpcast, which ceased to exist when the election wasn't stolen. She is the host of the This Is Critical podcast, these two are my dream pairing on the day of a somewhat nightmare scenario Virginia and Katha, welcome to the gist.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So how do you feel Katha, I'll start with you? You've been thinking about this longer <laughs> than we have. Um are, I I know you're less than you've been less than sanguine about the courts overturning this or pr- specifically this court, you never took it for granted that uh, Americans would always have this right. So are you feeling sadly vindicated or enervated or energized and radicalized? How are you feeling?
1: Well, I sometimes thought that they wouldn't go for overturning Roe because it's politically not very shrewd and they're Republicans. And if their gain is republican overlordship maybe they should chip away at it in a way that wouldn't alert so many people to what they're doing but then i thought yeah but you know these are uh very deeply conservative catholics um and uh maybe jesus wants them to do this and they'll do it um and it looks like that's what's happening
0: virginia how are you feeling
2: I um, started, I just have always tried to follow Katha's lead and not get too um, complacent about abortion rights. So I started, I think when Kavanaugh came in and in that despair, I decided, um, I wanted to get down to brass tacks about what the abortion procedure is, what this gynecological procedure is and how in the world it this tiny procedure That has to do more with kind of restarting your period than it has to do with you know anything that looks like a baby i started to think it's such a small procedure and we don't have our rights given to us our bodily autonomy given to us by brett kavanaugh by neil gorsuch by justice alito we we're born with it and we just have it all along And I really got into, you know, just to cut out a few stage steps here. I really got interested in the abortion pill. Um, The abortion pill was like, was the the one that people sort of use, um, use without a doctor's supervision or prescription is goes by the name Miso. Now it was discovered by some Brazilian women. Um, It's been used in places that that disallow abortion. for for I think a decade, it's 90% effective. It costs a dollar a pill and you need, need 12 of them. So there's just like a wonderful small scale women overseen uh, way to give this procedure. And it's also a way to stop thinking we need to petition Brett Kavanaugh for the rights to our own bodies.
1: That sounds really great, but there are some caveats. Um, and one of them, let's not forget that uh, the Brazilian women did discover that you could use misoprostol, which is um, used as a, an, an ulcer drug in much of the world. Uh, it's And it said on it said, don't take this if you're pregnant. And they said, oh, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> um, and so they kind of reverse engineered it um, so that uh, they would take it then. But now it's very illegal in Brazil. You can't import it. You know, they look at packages. Um, so it's not the end of the story, unfortunately. Um, another thing is that what's what has happened a number of times is that uh, it causes a miscarriage. And that can be a frightening experience. There can be a lot of blood and you can, you know, you know some pain and you worry. So you go to the ER. And then if you happen upon um, anti-abortion medical people, they'll turn you in. And that happened. That's happened a number of times.
0: But it does seem to me that this is some sort of... Uh, it's interesting, sadly interesting, that this sort of Farmo-Sam uh, uh option exists and maybe we'll have to turn to it. But of course, it would just be better were the courts to recognize, as I think they should, as I think most of them, but for a somewhat radicalized faction, would agree that abortion is a right, as it has been a right for 50 years. Um, I guess we could talk about how we came to this point or where we go from here, but politically, a phrase I've heard is, has the dog caught the car? Do you think that might be going on with Republicans in terms of uh, their electoral chances or just their they're standing in the public eye with actually having overturned Roe versus Wade, Catha.
1: I think that they've been working for this very concertedly for many, many years. Um, And uh, I don't know, the stuff I was reading from anti-choicers was certainly hopeful. It wasn't saying, oh, well, this is never it would be great, but it's never going to happen. They were saying, oh, no, we're close. We're really close. so, I mean, it could backfire against them in some places electorally, but you know, to tell you the truth, and I don't want to depress all you listeners out there, but things are so gerrymandered now. Things are so hyperpartisan. I don't think you're going to find too many uh, Republicans voting Democrat because of this. Um, and I think it is a question how fired up people are going to be. You know, many there have been a lot of abortion restrictions in a lot of places, and it hasn't reliably produced a pro-choice uh, you know, a switch to pro-choice. So we'll just have to see this might be different though, because people only read the they only read the top line. they only read the headlines. and Roe Falls is a headline in a way that Texas bans abortion after six weeks. Blah, 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 is not is maybe not.
2: I know that some people have said that they. I, I, I mean, I don't. I. I. I all. I, I. just chronically try to find some possible upside, and one of them is that um, I've heard people say of single issue voters. I remember this at, particularly in Kentucky, where it's just you know the genocide of the unborn, that kind of like completely the holy war focus of Matt of uh, Mike Pence that that person might stay home. It's not that they'll switch to being a Democrat, but they might have said, my work here's done. That was the only thing I cared about. I have no brief for McConnell, especially if you're now you're a Republican and you're a family values person, you might say it's time to go to you know, it's time to be apolitical again.
1: Well, that would be great, <laughs> but their their work here is not done according to them. Now it'll be birth control. Now it will be getting rid of uh, same sex marriage um, and trans health care. And I mean, there's a whole long list of things that they um, that are will come to the fore now that this particular if this particular outrage is solved. Um, and, you know, they believe they have persuaded themselves that the birth control pill is an abortion the IUD, it's an abortion. Every day you have an IUD in there, you're having an abortion. It's, it's kind of amazing. Um, and there's the restricting of, of access, even if you keep it legal. Um, and, you know, there's, there's just no end of the things you can uh, may replace abortion with.
2: Of course, I think that's right. And but I I guess I'm thinking of single issue voters, the ones who are catered to with uh, pictures of babies all the time in utero that really are, you know, think maybe Trump is distasteful, think that the insurrection wasn't the best thing to ever happen in the world, think that, you know, the big lie isn't true, but are so happy that the genocide of the unborn has been ended that they kind of maybe aren't going to be bothered to fuss over you know whether the what an iud even is um you know and and what what relation it bears to babies um it's just that that particular iconography has been so effective um that i think you know it's those pictures of the silent screen baby that people carry in their wallets to ensure, you know, to keep them voting for Republicans, Um I, I don't know, some enthusiasm might diminish.
0: Yeah. So I, I think that the best that can be uh, hoped for if you're rooting for Democrats not to lose too much ground in the House or me- maybe hold the Senate is that some of those all but single issue Republican voters do stay home. But I think about the swing voters, which are which do exist. There are not many of them. But if the number one issue for them is crime or inflation, it's because right now we're experiencing higher crime rates and very high inflation. I mean, the worry about inflation could always be a motivating issue, but it's not if it's just a worry. Now with abortion, previously for the last 50 or so years of American politics, the abortion question is the possibility of abortion becoming illegal. Now that it is a reality, doesn't that become a much more salient issue? And a lot of these voters, maybe these women voters who are worried about buying hamburger, as Elizabeth Warren always says, maybe they say, okay, hamburger is important, but so is mine and my daughter's reproductive rights. So maybe maybe it cuts that way with so-called persuadable voters.
2: Well, we know the majority of Americans uh, support a woman's right to choose. Um, And, uh, you know, certainly if they're I just was in Ireland and, uh, you know, someone said Ireland, you know, who we which we now think of as that very progressive nation that legalized abortion some some years ago. You know, someone said anyone who grew up in poverty with uh, I think he said 14 siblings is in favor of a woman's right to choose you know families that are struck by this or anyone who remembers you know i remember my uncle having a ton of children and you know saying you know every sperm is precious and you have to have every single child you conceive parenthetically I I can't imagine that Mike Pence say isn't using he and his mother are not using some kind of birth control since they've kept it to three. My grandfather would have looked very askance at someone with only three children. In any case, some of my uncles, some of my cousins, some of my uncle's children, got pregnant at sixteen. They had to keep the baby, and then we all know how the, those things turn out. And it's like it's an incredible strain on families. And I think some people who worry about inflation don't really love this idea of, of uh you know families having these setbacks again. Or they remember being pregnant at 16 and being lucky enough to get an abortion.
1: Well here's an interesting follow-up to what you said. In my last column, I wrote about um a sociological study that suggested that a surprising percentage of anti-abortion people would help someone, uh, you know, a pregnant person that they knew. Um, they, they were very unjudgmental. They, you know, they would, they would talk with them. They would help them. They would, you know, said, I can't make a decision for you, which is, wait a minute, <laughs> you believe this thing is a crime, but you can't make a decision for someone else who's going to kill their baby. Um, that they would drive them to the clinic. Not that many would give actual money, but they don't seem to realize that money is fungible. That if you drive someone to the clinic, that's a way of giving them money. But anyway, did, did was, you
0: also have that anecdote of the Catholic who wouldn't give the person money directly. Oh
1: from- yeah. This was a friend of mine's, a friend of mine, uh, as a teenager was getting an abortion and she was asking for money for her, from her friends to help her raise the $500 or whatever it was that she needed. And um, a male friend of hers said, well, I'm Catholic. I can't give you any money. So I'm going to give it to my friend over here and he'll give it to you.
0: (laughs) So it sort of (laughs) purified the
1: money in some way. Uh,
0: It is, It is. theologians say that is a good way to fool God, by the way. Um, (laughs) So, but what you're saying, Katha, People with a personal connection see this more personally, and it doesn't surprise me. Look at how the gay marriage issue changed and evolved. There's more people. Dan Savage always points this out. The gay people's superpower is that you all know a gay person. They seem pretty okay, and you want them to be happy. It's kind of similar for a young woman or woman of any age who might be having an abortion or going through those questions. So to me, that might be another reason why this changes from an abstract, non-material argument to a material argument. Now, it's a real thing, and those are the sorts of things like everyday issues about crime in my neighborhood and inflation with my hamburgers that play a lot different differently to the electorate. I I, I want to make sure I'm not talking to like-minded people and just getting a Hosanna chorus. But I do think it's possible. And I do think American, the American voters do vote like that.
1: I do think that's a a real possibility, but there's a difference between inflation crime on the one hand and abortion and that on the other. And that is that the media relentlessly pushes the themes of crime and of inflation. I mean, you cannot I mean, what are the? you know, if it bleeds, it leads. There's just an unending stream of horrible crime stories in, in every newspaper. And they're not writing um, enough so about our periods if,
2: that bleeds.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Um, and, and inflation is a very um, headline gathering, um, garnering um, issue. And even for people, so people think it's even worse than it is. Um, abortion. It comes with such stigma that it's it's not it's hard to give it that same salience because people don't talk about it. You're not going to have too many women on TV saying, "Oh yeah, I want to get my abortion; and the clinic was closed." But there's something else I want to raise because it's so fascinating, and I haven't seen it mentioned much. Um, Samuel Alito, who wrote this deci- the decision that legal mavens are trashing, um, he upheld. Uh, Regulation that would have that was rejected, but would have compelled women to notify their husbands before they had an abortion. So that kind of tells you a lot about where he's coming from. Uh, He really does not believe that women have any kind of right to their body.
2: That is very interesting. Um, I think there are huge economic consequences and a lot of pro-choice men are worried about child support, right? Like many of the stories, uh, I think of Revolutionary Road or the, like, you know, how abortion was like such a subject in novels and short stories. I think there's a book called The Abortion um, uh, Pre-Roe. And it was often in a marriage, the kind of third or fourth child that you know, maybe the woman wanted to keep and maybe the man really didn't, because these are strains on finances to go back to the Irish thing. You know, the, the like, this is not good for an economy for people to have unwanted children in every way. I mean, think of it, right? It's just, you know, bring back the idea of family planning, like, what does it take to make it clear that it is not healthy for a society to force pregnancies?
1: Well, this was the point of my book, Pro, was that abortion, legal abortion and abortion rights and easy access to abortion are good for everybody. Um, I mean, it's not necessarily so good for a child to be born into a family that can't support it, that where the, the parents are already overburdened with childcare. Um, and you know, there's just too much, too much stress and trouble in the family.
0: But, you know, as you say, I'll quote you to you, Katha, we need to see abortion as an urgent practical decision that is just as moral as the decision to have a child, indeed, sometimes more moral, which gets me to thinking about a couple things that you were saying, which is that maybe the argument, the, you know, it's all about personal responsibility argument. It's usually framed as something like, therefore, you know, use a condom or reliable birth control. But there is an aspect when since failures happen of personal responsibility. Responsibility—that that it is the responsible thing for the woman, for the man and the couple and for society to have an abortion at times. It's not beyond recognition that the same kind of impetus that puts a lot of these um, libertarian arguments in, in front of us in Twitter. I think Twitter and these crypto guys, they're big libertarians and usually that shows up as owning the libs and they would say, many of them would say something like, well, I am liberal on social issues, probably meaning if my girlfriend gets pregnant. I'd want her to have an abortion. Maybe those guys, I don't know if they'll do it. They're probably more invested in being, you know, edge lords. but maybe those guys will say something interesting or turn around a little bit on the issue of abortion because it's a real issue and not just a talking point. I don't know. However, I don't know.
2: Well, Tommy Lahren, you know, notoriously got in trouble for saying, you know, I like my guns and I like my, you know, bodily autonomy and hands off my guns and hands off my body and um, and lost a lot of, um, you know, and got got attacked by the Trumpites, but that's the libertarian position. I mean, we have to remember, we're trying to find out, oh, what group might lean toward pro-choice position? All these people are pro-choice, or at least they answer surveys saying they're pro-choice. Um, and then there are all these practical reasons and ideological reasons and moral reasons to, uh, to be pro-choice. It's just the, it's just the position of any of any thriving society that these decisions have to be um, left up to women and couples.
0: Last question that we didn't get to. The leak, the fact that this was leaked two months beforehand, I'm not quite sure who did it. I guess standard theory would be a liberal or a person who was clerking for one of these five justices who was alarmed that this would become law, though you could do the double reverse bank shot that it was a conservative who was alarmed that it was too big a bite of an apple uh, at once. But do you think in any way, I don't know, are you concerned about the precedent and the norm shattering nature of the leak? Or do you think the fact that it was leaked beforehand might change the dynamic as it plays out? What do you think, Virginia?
2: Well, I think there's the hysterical complaint is the prestige of the court is now forever compromised. I mean, that ship may have sailed with the fact that three to four justices on the court have legitimacy questions, you know, one of whom has a insurrectionist wife, um and two to three of them who got on, you know, under suspicious circumstances in the Senate. and um and I think it's possible. That this law that this reversal of Roe won't feel binding. I mean, I guess that's what I mean with the use of pills. That this is such a political, um, political game that no one will accept this as even handed jurisprudence. And the leak is only, you know, is only the bare you know, only a tiny part of it.
1: There's another theory about the leak, which is that it was leaked by a conservative to prevent waverers among the five, should there be any, from from changing their mind. My husband's theory is that it was Ginny Thomas herself, because the very, very few people get to see these decisions in in, um, draft, but spouses apparently get to see them. So, and it seems like the sort of thing she would do,
0: doesn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if Ginny Thomas leaked it, that would be her motivation. But you know, maybe we don't know the names of, I don't know what Sam Alito's wife is. Maybe she's just as impassioned, but less known to the public. Virginia Heffernan is the host of This Is Critical podcast. If you're not listening, you should. She's a columnist for Wired. Katha Pollitt is a columnist for The Nation. And her most recent book is Pro, Reclaiming Abortion Rights. She's also coming out with, from what I understand, a uh, poetry magazine called Lieber. Oh, I'm
1: the poetry editor of a new magazine called Lieber. So you should all subscribe. Subscribe. Get in on the ground floor.
0: And Lieber works on how many levels? It means free. Free. And book. There you go. Katha and Virginia, thank you both so much.
1: Well, thanks so much. This was a great conversation. Thank you, Mike and Katha.
0: And now the spiel. The decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, which at least five Scottish justices are ready to sign onto, is legal. Under the U.S. legal system, what is legal is what the court says is legal. It's kind of a strange metaphysical situation to be in. Let's say you're Elena Kagan. You're in possession of a conception and definition of that which is legal. Having that definition be correct in part because you believe it. And then your very consistent position shifts away from being correct to incorrect because instead of four people agreeing with you, only three people do. Okay, but because it is definitionally legal does not mean it is right, wise, or properly decided. And the courts depend on the consent of the governed for their legitimacy. They don't take it for granted. They ask at the beginning of each session for grace on this matter. That is why they say, Oh yay, oh yay,
1: oh yay. All persons having business before the honorable, the Supreme Court of the United States are admonished to give their attention for the court is now sitting. God save the United States and this honorable court.
0: That announcement from the marshal of the court, and it is the marshal of the court who has been tasked with investigating this leak. This leak that was a breach of norms, a serious breach of norms, as was the decision itself. SCOTUS asked for the court to be saved, but they know their power and legitimacy stems from the people. Not the people saying, I agree with all your decisions, but I agree enough with your status as the arbiter of decisions more than I disagree with any one or collection of individual decisions. Now this would seem to be the right place for me to say, but with this ruling, that all changes. I don't think it completely does. I don't think we're at the point where there is any issue so galvanizing it could rewrite the fundamentals of politics in America, where we're extremely polarized and the feeling of disconnection from the citizen to the elected is vast. I also think that if it were the case that Roe could never be changed, that's not exactly what the Supreme Court should represent either. President should never be unrethinkable any more than it should be subject to whim. Neither one of those things is justice. And while the Supreme Court isn't and shouldn't be popularly elected or subject to recall, it should more or less represent the people how. Its members should, more or less, flow from a process that, more or less, reflects the choices of leaders who, more or less, are themselves a reflection of the democratic choices of the citizens. But this court is less, much more less, than it should be. Lifetime appointments, the vagaries of when those openings occur... Non popularly elected presidents, senatorial stalling, an all but useless confirmation process. It all adds up to this. If not total delegitimacy, an eroded institution dealing from a position of weakness to deliver rulings which the people resent, rulings that will probably redound to the electoral detriment of those who most advocate for them, and rulings which make it less likely that the court will be willingly followed by the people who it ostensibly serves. And that's it for today's show. Cory Wara is the assistant producer of The Gist. Joel Patterson is The Gist senior producer. Michelle Hunter is COO of Peachfish Productions and poetry editor of Persichi Peaches Quarterly. The Gist is produced in collaboration with Lipson's AdvertiseCast. For advertising inquiries, go to advertisecast.com slash gist. Umperu deperu and thanks for listening.